You're listening to a podcast produced by Kayama Community Radio. Hi, it's Joe here from KCR, and I've got Alan Baxter here with me today. Welcome, Alan. Hello. KCR. Nice Thank to you. have you. Nice to be here. Thanks. Now, Alan, you describe yourself on your website as a weird word warlock, <laughs> a martial artist, a whiskey-soaked swear monkey, cynical optimist, and Brit-Australian. Brit-Australian, yes. That's right, yeah. Born, born British, now Australian. Yeah. <laughs> yep, kind of got that. And we'll, we'll talk about all those things, but first we'll talk about your weird word warlock <laughs> side of yourself. Good description. You've actually been writing since 2005, is that right? I've been publishing since around then. Yeah, I've okay. been sort of writing my whole life, really. Okay. Um, I wrote a lot as a child. As a teenager, I played a lot of role-playing games where I would rather be the dungeon master and tell the story than be a player because <laughs> I got to scratch the itch that way. So I've, kind of, I've just kind of written forever. You've published since 2005 short stories. You've co-authored action thrillers, the Sam Aston Investigations, the Jake Crowley Adventures. You've edited an anthology of crime horror, the... Damnation Games. Damnation Games, yeah. Yep. You've written around 19 or 20 novels and novellas. Is that uh, right? Well, it's ridiculous that I, I, this comes up and I can never remember. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, we, I'm getting close to 30 books now if we include the eight novels that I've co-written with David Wood. So, okay, yeah, it's close okay. to 30. I think I'm up to 27 or 28 now. Well, congratulations. That's, <laughs> Thank that's you. That's a, a great body of work. And mostly those are mystery, noir, horror, supernatural, crime, gothic dark fantasy so you like the dark side yes i do i do i never met a genre i didn't like but I did, but it does always tend to be dark yeah. your books have been finalists in many awards and you've been a winner twice in 2016 and 2019 of the australian shadows award for best collected works with your books crow shine and served cold and the gulp one was winner of the 2021 Orealis Award for Best Collection. That's Congratulations. right. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> I've been after an Orealis Award my whole writing career. It's kind of the pinnacle of Australian awards and I'd been a finalist 11 times and I finally won one for the Gulp. So, that yeah. Was, yeah, that was exciting. That's fantastic. Yeah. And, and I've been reading the Gulp 1 and you've got Gulp 2 out as well. Yeah, the Would fall you... is the follow-up to the Gulp. Yeah. yeah. Would you mind just reading the blurb on the back just so listeners know what the Gulp is about? It's I Tales can. from the Gulp. Yeah, so the first book is the Gulp, Five Tales of Horror, um, and the second book is the fall, Five More Tales from the Gulp. And so they're sort of all collectively known as Tales from the Gulp. I am hoping to write some more. Um, as time allows. But mm -hmm. um, in terms of the, what, yeah, the sort of description, it reads, Strange things happen in the Gulp. The residents have grown used to it. The isolated Australian harbour town of Goldpepper is not like other places. Some maps don't even show it. And only, only outsiders use the full name. Everybody who lives there calls it the Gulp. The place has a habit of swallowing people. <laughs> <laughs> and it does. It but does. some people get out. Some people Every they once spit in a out. while, yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, there's, it's actually funny. I, I was reading this and th there are a few minutes when I laughed out loud, you know, the, um, the all mum. Um, and I'll, you know, I'll only say it's about an old woman, a wine bottle and a son and uh, it's a laugh out, out loud. I think, I think like. the really dark stuff is best when it's leavened with a bit of comedy and horror. We're nothing if not um, 
you know, sort of black in our humour a lot of the time. Gall <laughs> Gallows humour has a place, so yeah. Well, writing horror and writing comedy apparently have things in common. Mm. Um, so I've been reading, you know, you subvert familiar situations. In comedy, you've you subverted by the absurd and incongruous, while horror, the familiar is subverted by the grotesque and threatening. So audiences get a thrill from the surprise. Is that what you found? It's kind of similar techniques used Yeah, in... I, I think that's true in part. I, think, I don't think that covers all of it to a degree. Um, it, it is, it, genre, genre discussions are always sort of fraught. Um, you know, sometimes you'll sit on a panel for an hour and the panel's supposed to be about horror and you spend the first 45 minutes defining what horror is. Um, <laughs> it, and to my mind, there are many genres that are fairly well-defined and genre, uh, horror as a genre is definitely a thing. But to me, comedy and horror are more like spices that you add to other genres. You can have science fiction comedy or science fiction horror. You can have thriller comedy or thriller horror. It's, so it tends to be a story to which you add more or less comedy or horror or comedy and horror, depending on you know, the vibe you're going for. So absolutely, it is about subverting expectations, um, but it tends to be how much you want to add of a thing or how little. Some things can just have a little touch of darkness in them and some things can be, you know, truly bleak. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, your characters are really well drawn and uh, in one of your stories you have teenagers with this um, tricky situation of, uh, you know, mum not being very well and then mum... Uh, expiring. Expiring, yeah, yeah <laughs> expiring is, is the word. And uh, they're a bit clueless on what to do about their mum and the younger brother keeps coming up with these disastrous, you know, problem-solving <laughs> solutions. And there's a parasitic mushroom involved, but I'm not going to tell you anything more about that. <laughs> and I thought that was hilarious because I thought it was gentle humour. Like, you know, these two teenagers really not knowing what to do yeah. and you're behind them, you know, you care about them because you've given them a lovely structure and you want to follow them into their messy, hapless kind of situations. At its core, all storytelling is characters. Yeah. Uh, because, because plot and story are not the same thing. You know, plot is what happens. This yeah. happens, this happens, this happens. But story is why we care about what happens. And story always then comes from characters. So it's, it's important that, you know, that the good characters are really well drawn and that you, you feel like they're realistic. It's important that the protagonists and the villains are equally well drawn. And um, for me... I think the real craft of writing comes in finding the reality of any given character and really exploring that. And it can be difficult to some degree because as a writer, we're only one person mm. and we kind of then have to put our mind in different people. And so sometimes I can be writing some fairly horrible stuff and have to put my mind in fairly horrible characters and then go and take the dogs for a walk because it can be disturbing, <laughs> you know. Um, but for me, a lot of the time, that's the, the real joy of writing because the real story is exploring how characters respond to any given situation. And when you give them really messed up situations to respond to, mm. it can be really interesting to figure out how they would respond. And if you do a good job of having characters respond realistically within their personality, within their character, then you have interesting story. And that's kind of why we want to follow it along. That's that sort of famous George R. R. Martin quote that uh, someone who doesn't read lives only one life but a reader lives a thousand because yes. you experience <laughs> life through all those different characters and all those different lives. Yeah and I think why you know horror has become well seems to be more and more um, current in our TV, our mm. um, cinema, books, 
you know, we see it everywhere, with stranger things on mm. TV. It's a renaissance you know. at the moment. It's a good time to be doing horror, for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Buffy and the Vampire Slayer, mm. kind of cosy um, horror, would yeah, you call that? that's it. <laughs> yeah. um, but historically, I suppose, Dracula and Frankenstein and Edgar Allan Poe and, yeah. and all those. But, uh, yeah, there seems to be a resurgence at the moment. And it's interesting to know if that's because of different things going on in the world. This is something that comes up a lot um, and it's always discussed and people never really seem to settle on an answer. It's like, you know, when things are going well in the world, people, you know, there's a sort of surge in fantasy and science fiction and stuff like that. When things are pretty crappy in the world, there seems to be a surge in horror and crime. And some people suggest, well, when things are not so good, you want to read about how things could be worse. When things are okay, you want to read how things could be more fantastical, you know. There, there, there is one school of thought to that, but when you've been around horror and the dark fiction genre for a long time you recognize it's kind of always there and it popular culture and popularity in the mainstream tends to rise and fall but there's always this underlying presence that's always been there but it, there is definitely a resurgence at the moment and it's really interesting that there's a resurgence to or not really a resurgence i suppose but there's an increase in a lot more diverse voices now um there's a real rise in latino and latina horror uh, particularly in America. Um, there's people like Jordan Peele who are doing amazing things, really raising profile of black horror. Um, people like Lee Murray um, in New Zealand who's really raising Asian voices in horror. Um, and finally, I think a lot to do with the internet and small press rather than the sort of big five behemoth publishers, we're seeing a, a removal of a lot of gatekeepers which is allowing us to get a far broader range of stuff mm. to read and to watch and whatever else and that's great that, that's a good thing i noticed that you self-published <coughs> um, quite of your um <coughs> recent books um and you've also used publishers mm. in the so why, why are you self-publishing now well it's a bit of a cyclical process when i first started writing my first novel realm shift um, got to the acquisitions table of two big publishers and both times didn't get over the line. Um, this is back in 2000 and whatever it was, um, yeah. early aughts, 2003-04. Um, and I, that was right at the beginning of the new wave of self-publishing with the, the sudden appearance of e-books and with print-on-demand publishing, which meant if you self-publish, you didn't have to have 3,000 books in boxes in your garage that might never sell. Um, and so I decided, well, you know what, I'll self-publish this one see if I can raise a bit of a readership, get some reviews, write the next one, and then see if I can use that to sort of break back towards publishers, which is what happened in a, that's, you know, if you condense 10 years into a sentence. Um, and what I learned from doing that is that while it's an amazing time to be able to publish, it's also not what I really want to do. I want to focus on writing and all the work of learning to do layout and do the promotion and get cover art and all that sort of stuff. I didn't, I, I decided I didn't really want to do that. Um, and I moved to working with publishers and I was fortunate to sign for a trilogy with HarperCollins and I've worked with lots of small press, especially in horror in America, in America like Cemetery Dance and PS Publishing in the UK and people. So I've been very fortunate in that respect. Mm. But I've also had situations where small press have released books and then collapsed for one reason or another, as is the okay. nature of the industry. And when that happens, they take books with them. And then you have a bit of a wrangle getting rights back that you then have to subsequently then resell the book to someone else, blah, blah, blah. Because that happened a few times, a lot of people are moving more towards what's called the hybrid model, where you work with whatever publishers you can, some big, some small, and some 
you manage yourself. Mm. Um, and right about that time was when I wrote a short novel called The Rue, which is just an absolutely bonkers novel about a demonic kangaroo that decimates an outback town. It, it really is. It's, it's a homage to all the exploitation and, you know, ridiculous B-movie horror going okay. out there. It's like Razorback or Jaws or Cujo, yes. but it's a kangaroo, right? Okay. Um, and it was, a bit of a, it was a bit of a joke. It was a bit of a laugh, and I wrote this thing. And I was like, well, I'm not even going to try looking for a publisher for this. Maybe this is an opportunity to get my eye back in on self-publishing to see, to maybe head towards a bit of that hybrid model again. Um, so I went through that. I relearned what was going on, brought myself up to date, and I self-published The Rue. Uh, and it went gangbusters. It was really popular, um, especially in America, I guess, because of the, you know, the, the novelty of such an Australian story. Yeah. Um, and because that was a success and because there was obviously a thirst for Australian horror, that's what triggered me into writing the stories for The Gulp, which I'd sort of been putting off a bit because it's so Australian. Um, yes, you know, The, like gu I've the Gulp, it's about um, a, a quiet little unassuming seaside yeah. village on the south coast of New South Wales. That's and it. we we all know those kind of villages. Yeah, it, and it's like my own inn's mouth, you know, that was yeah. the point. And I, but I didn't know if there was really the market and then it turned out, Australian stories were popular. And so, and because I did that, and because that, that ended up happening right in the middle of the pandemic, and I was trying to pivot my, my day job to Zoom classes, my kid was suddenly home, and we were homeschooling and everything else. So I just released it myself rather than have the, and so that's why I ended up publishing that one, self-publishing. And that did really well, and so I wrote The Fall, which is the follow-up to The Gulp, and because I'd self-published The Gulp, I self-published The Fall. So all of a sudden I've got this little handful of self-published things. Yeah. But I always prefer to work with publishers if I can. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's congratulations. You know, you, Thanks. You, to make money from self-publishing is mm. uh, not a lot a, of money. A, a, a <laughs> not a lot of money in this gig at all, but yeah, thanks. <laughs> There's been some psychological research on um, who loves um, horror more. Younger readers apparently love horror more. Men more than women. Okay. Mm, don't know about that. Uh, countries with higher GDP per capita have more readers of horror and you kind of discussed that a little bit earlier. Interesting, yeah, yeah. And there's also from the psychological study, consuming horror can be a catalyst for falling in love, they say. Oh, wow. Do you know, Have you heard any of this? <coughs> um, Co-experiencing horror can add to excitement felt towards each other. It can be a conduit of social, for social bonding, a great way to bond and connect with friends and family. <laughs> Maybe that's pushing it a bit far. Well, but apparently know. they've linked it to releases of oxytocin. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's true that if you, if you go through something intense or traumatic with someone and come out the other side, the two of you share something that other people haven't experienced, and that can definitely bring people close together. Yes, yes, and it can be a bond. Yeah. yeah, and horror is very much about exploring that cathartic threat in a safe environment. So I suppose if you do that with other people, then that sort of shared trauma effect is in is is there as well i mean i hadn't thought about it before but it's an interesting thought I, it yeah. makes sense yeah. i get it yeah. and and really our body does change with mm. when we're tense when we're yeah. relaxed I mean, it's good when to we're be scared. scared it's exciting it's why we ride roller coasters and yeah. why young people drive fast you yeah. know because yeah the thrill yeah endorphins that's released it. And, and all that, that jazz and horror fiction does that too <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, do you read horror fiction oh, yeah. yourself? Yeah, yeah really. I mean, I read everything. I'm a, I've always been a voracious reader since I was since I could read, and I was an early reader. Yeah. Um, you know, five, six years old. And do like, you get thrilled by some horror, or do you? Yeah, do, I do. do Every once in a while. What to expect. Well, it's a bit of both. I mean, in some ways, you know, once you know how the sausage is made, kind of thing, <laughs> it doesn't never taste as good. Um, but really good writing is really good writing, um, and so when you do come across a book that's really good that's kind of a sign to me that it is really good because I've I end up falling back into that reader mode and I'm not really a writer anymore and I'm just being transported by the process of reading which is what I always loved about it which is why I started writing in the first place yeah, yeah. so I read all sorts of genres all I read genres. non-fiction and everything else and I, I love that thrill of finding a good book and just getting lost in it have you got a favorite author Clive Barker is okay. probably my favourite, but probably been the biggest influence on the kind of stuff that I write, that sort of weird crossover with horror, fantasy, crime that sort of all blends together. Um, and I, yeah, I just frequently come back to Clive Barker. Somebody said on a panel once when I was uh, on a group panel, they asked each of the people, what book out there do you wish you'd written? Which struck me as a really w r weird question because I couldn't write the book like a Stephen King book or, yeah. a, you know... Um, if I wrote it, it would be a different book. But then it occurred to me that the feeling I got when I first read The Great and Secret Show by Clive Barker, which is just one of my all-time favourite novels, that's the sort of book that I want to have written. I want to write a book that makes people feel the way that made me feel when I read it. That's kind of the goal. Yeah. Do you watch much horror TV? I do. Yeah. I enjoy it. My, my wife is not a horror fan um, some of my stuff she refused to read. <laughs> she will read a lot of it, but then, uh, but she, yeah, she, she read the, she read the gulp, um, and then she started reading the fall and just noped out of it and refused to read anymore. <laughs> um, but she does read some other stuff. But she has a real problem with visual horror, so she just can't watch horror movies or, yes. or serials yeah. and stuff. So that's I do watch a lot of that. I really enjoy it, but it tends to be, you know, I'll sometimes stay up when everyone else is in bed and watch. You know, one episode. I've just started watching The Fall of the House of Usher with a new Mike Flanagan series. Oh, OK. I just watched okay. the, the first episode of that last night. But I have to fit it in when nobody else is around because I'm the only, only, one well, I'm the only fan in the house, yeah. <laughs> I, I must admit, I do love uh, the comedy uh, horror, you know, what we do in the shadows, that, that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, you know, Evil that's, Dead that's movies and those yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so you also blend your writing work with your martial art work. That works out okay you you can yeah. um, decompartmentalize your... I can to a degree I mean it started like I got a reputation for writing good fight scenes early on um and it's mainly because I know two things I know how to fight and I know how to write <laughs> like that's what I do I teach I teach martial arts and qigong and tai chi and I, and I write that's what I do um and because people kept talking about that I ended up writing the Alex Kane trilogy which um is published by HarperCollins in Australia um and that's a protagonist who is first and foremost a martial artist because I was like, well, I, I keep getting this reputation for writing fight scenes and whatever. It's obvious why. Why don't I make a character who is primarily a martial artist? And that became a really popular trilogy because of the sort of action and fight scenes and stuff that are mm -hmm. in that. So, yeah, I tend to... I don't want to be kind of pigeonholed as, as the martial arts guy. In, so a lot of my stuff, especially a lot of my short fiction, doesn't even come close to martial arts people. Mm. You know, there's a lot of characters who couldn't fight their way out of a paper bag in a lot of those stories. But it definitely does inform. And they're both arts. The discipline of both exists, you know, being a writer, being a martial artist. There's a lot of crossover in the lifestyles of those things. So. Actually, there was a term you used in Tales from the Gulp 
during a fight scene in there called a haymaker punch. <laughs> yeah. And I hadn't got a clue. So I, there's actually a glossary in the back of this book um, that yeah. gives you useful um, definitions of some Aussie kind of slang. That's it. And I went to the glossary to see if that was there, but it's not there, so you're going to have to explain to me now. Yeah, so a haymaker, that's not Australian. That's kind of a universal. Um, a haymaker is a, basically when someone doesn't really know how to fight and they just swing their arms in great big wide arcs and just club at people. Oh, that would so, be my type of fight. Yeah, yeah, so a lot of people who don't know how to fight, they just swing wild. <laughs> and a big wild swing is is called a haymaker. Okay. That, yeah. So. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. So back to your description of yourself on your website. What's this whiskey soaked swear monkey <laughs> about? <laughs> this, this comes up a lot. Um, so I am a I'm I'm not a I'm not a big drinker by any means, but I am a very big fan of good single malt whiskey. Um, so when I do when I do drink and when I can afford to, I indulge that passion. Um, and we, there was a big conversation going on online once with a bunch of people. And I, had, I do have a reputation for swearing a lot um, in life and in my books. Um, and I'm doing my best to be very careful on the radio. Um, <laughs> uh, and I like single malt whiskey. And so people started talking about um, what would be the title of your autobiography? And people were stringing it out and coming up with all these most, you know, sort of ridiculous <laughs> ideas. And it ended up being suggested that my autobiography would be called Some Good from a Whiskey-Soaked Swear Monkey. <laughs> okay. Um, well, we can look forward to that. Yeah, read. so maybe you one know, day... Maybe in a few decades. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> so because that came up, people started going, ah, yes, the Whiskey-Soaked Swear Monkey. Uh, and so, yeah, so it kind of stuck. So, yeah, and like somebody else called me a warrior scribe because... Uh, fighter and a writer and they yeah. sort of so that was that was a nickname too for a while so a warrior scribe or a whiskey soaked swear monkey <laughs> so yeah, yeah yeah i'm getting pigeonholed but yeah that's all right they're good things they're good things yeah okay well, well we might stop it there thank you so much for no taking worries. the time to speak to kcr thanks and, for having me and our listeners will be very pleased we can listen to you chat about your books thanks very much Alan. no worries thanks for having me this podcast was produced by Kaima Community Radio.